So the, the chains of sin and uh, the shame that has come along with it and all the things we've been singing about, that's once for all, it's done. Uh, with all that being said, we're, you know, we're freed by what Jesus has done. And a part of what that means is that now we can walk in the fullness of a relationship with Him again. Um, when, when we were... Those who are Christians, when we were bound in sin, we were separate and alienated from Him. And through His death and His sacrifice, He has freed us from that bondage. And now uh, we are free to walk with Him and to know Him. And we've been walking our way through Hebrews 11 over the, this semester, looking at uh, these examples that are given of people who walked with God. And they, they walked by faith, they trusted Him uh, wholeheartedly, uh, they had just some incredibly uh, difficult circumstances at times, um, and uh, they managed to uh, to to make it through those difficult times with the Lord. And uh, they're all kind of collected in this chapter, uh, where the writer of Hebrews is saying, "Like you need to learn from these people." And so that's what we've been doing. We've just been kind of taking our time, going slowly, and uh, we finally get to Moses. Uh, most of of 11, uh, all up until this part, has been kind of starting at the very beginnings of the Bible and kind of hitting some of the, just the, the major, uh, like uh, the patriarchs and those kinds of things. Um, now we get to Moses, and, and Moses has a very, very special place in our lives and in the history of our faith and what God has done uh, here. And uh, something that we learned from, from Moses, there, there's a number of things, but tonight we're going to kind of zero in on something that that I believe is, is kind of what's brought out in the text here. Um, and it's the connection between walking uh, with God in faith uh, and holiness. Connection between walking in faith and holiness. Um, so he's freed us like we were just singing, and now we're walking with him. And that, that it, it means exactly what it sounds like it means. Like you're, you're walking through life, uh, you're going moment by moment, and you're doing so with the Lord. Uh, and, and there is a bit of like, it has kind of a companion idea to it a little bit. You know, that the, the sovereign creator, sustainer of the universe uh, knows your name. And he likes you. And he wants to walk with you through life. And he has he died so that, so that you could be free and I could be free from that to walk with him. And so as we're walking through life, there is a relational like, connection between us. Uh, the Bible describes it in a number of different ways. One of one of the most powerful is 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 the father child relationship that we are his sons and daughters, and we're walking through life with our father, who just so happens to be the one who made all this and sustains it and keeps it going and has a plan and all that kind of stuff. And so we're walking through life, and a part of what that does, um, we're we're walking with him, and. And it's similar to human relationships to an extent, and then it kind of stops. Uh, the way that it's similar is that when, when you have people who were walking through life together uh, very closely, they begin to like, imitate each other a little bit. 
and talk like each other a little bit. And uh, they, they start to, the interests of one suddenly become the interests of the other, you know. And, and so there's, uh, and uh, it's m- most obvious when a, when a couple falls in love, gets married, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a, a couple, I'm not going to say their names, um, but he used to play the drums here, and now they live in Nashville. And, uh, and he is a drummer, and has been a drummer since the creation of time or whatever. And so he's that guy that when he listens to music, he plays the air drums a little bit or he, whatever, he likes to sing drum licks, you know, and stuff like that, drum fills or whatever. And uh, what's funny is, like, his wife is not a drummer. And when they, uh, they met in the college community group many years ago, uh, and they got married, and I noticed one day, they'd been married for a little bit, whatever, like there was music playing somewhere, and I looked over, and she's playing like the air drums, you know? I was like, I wonder where she learned that from. And that happens all the time. You have, you have uh, married couples where you'll, you'll have, you maybe have, have heard this before, where like a wife will say, yeah, I never really thought that I would know this much about football or whatever, uh, but I do because he likes, he watches it all the time and whatever, and then you have the husband who'll say, I never really thought I would know much about Pinterest, but I know a lot more than I would like to admit, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, there are just those kind of things about, you'll hear a husband, you know, comment on like The Bachelor or whatever, and you're like, what in the world? He's like, oh, she watches it and you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, there's a little bit more care about who got dismissed or whatever the language is for The Bachelor. Um, those kind of things happen in relationships. Um, you'll hear groups of friends start to, one of them will pick up a little catchphrase and then it'll kind of spread around the whole group, you know, here and there. Or um, there's, there, those kind of things happen when you're walking through life closely, whether it's a spouse or, or close friends and that kind of stuff. Your interests begin, the interests of those that you care about begin, they become your own interests. And the, the language that they use becomes the language that you use, and vice versa. And it goes kind of both ways like that. We see that when you're walking through life with people. Um, it's, it's like that with the Lord, where, where we're walking in faith, we have this relationship with God, and uh, it's, we begin to pick up His traits. The things that He's interested in, start to, we become interested in, right? But this is this is where this is where the human connection, human analogy like stops. Is that it doesn't go both ways. He doesn't start to become more like us. Uh, we only it's like a one way deal. We become more like him, but we start to we start to talk like him a little bit, and we start to think like him, and we um, the things that he is passionate about, we become passionate about. The things that he loves, we love, and the things that he cannot stand, we also cannot stand. And so, the longer we walk with him, this is a part of transformation. Uh, this is a part of it, and you'll hear me say from, you know, well, maybe every Sunday that he's making us into these kinds of people. He's forming us into his own image, and that's what I'm saying. Um, he's making us more and more like himself um, as we walk through life with him. And so that, in another way to talk about that is that we're growing in godliness. We're growing in holiness. We are becoming more and more like him in his holiness. And we pursue that. You know, it's not just something that we sit back and kind of hope happens one day. We pursue that with him. Our desire is to be like him. And, and the, the thing about walking with the Lord is that this, this should be happening with us. Like this should be the case. We should be able to look at our lives and over the course of time we should see more godliness in our lives. 
We should see an, an, an increase in holiness as we are living. We should see a decrease in our sinful, uh, like, uh, in our patterns and the things we really desire. And, and the, like some of that immaturity from when we first started walking with the Lord, that should be subsiding over time. And the longer we walk with Him, we should be able to look at our lives and be like, man, I really remember when this was the case for me, when this was the battle, when, this was, when I would have responded to this situation in this way. We should be able to, to track that. And what's difficult is, like, that's a very difficult thing to track. You know? It's hard to measure that. It's hard to, to really see that in your own life sometimes. And um, what I don't, want, I don't want that to be a, uh, a discouragement to anyone. Um, whether you've been walking with the Lord for a day or a month, or a year, or ten years, or thirty years, it, it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying we should all, we should see that progress. So if you've been walking with the Lord for a month, all right, don't expect your life to look just like people who've been walking with Him for thirty years. Uh, but but there's, there's something there. You may not be able to see it in your own life. Um, it's it's hard to measure. It's hard to, to trace sometimes. It's, uh, we're, we're so insecure as people at times. We're like, I just don't think I'm growing at all in my relationship with the Lord. I don't think there's any holiness in me at all. And, and a lot of times we, we're the worst people to assess our own lives, you know. Uh, so maybe it would be worth asking someone that you trust and hope that they are truthful with you. But we should, we should see this. We should desire this. We should be pursuing this. Um, and, and I don't say any of that to try and be a discouragement, it's only, only as an, an encouragement, because I think that's what the scriptures are doing. I think that's what we see Paul doing and Peter. And we see in these letters they're writing, they're constantly pushing uh, the people that they love forward. And they're pushing them toward Jesus, pushing them t- deeper in their relationship with the Lord, pushing them toward holiness. Um, there's a, a lot of grace and a lot of understanding in that, but, but there is this expectation that, that no, we're, we're going for it. We're, we're going to go for it. And so... Uh, I mean all this to be an encouragement to us and, and to myself, an encouragement either, in, either to let the Lord affirm some things in us and affirm some things in your life. Uh, sometimes we really need to let the Lord look at us and tell us, hey, you're, you're doing great. You really are. Um, you may feel like you have such a long way to go and you may not see any progress in your life, but, but I see it and people around you see it. And you need to trust me that I've begun something in you, and I'm going to see it all the way through. Um, we're really hard on ourselves sometimes. Um, and so I hope that through some of this tonight in the next few minutes, that the Lord will do some encouraging. But I also hope he also does some encouraging to move forward and to move deeper as well. Because if, if you're frustrated with, with your life in this sense, and you're thinking, like, I haven't grown, there's no fruit in my life, there's no holiness, there's no whatever, then the encouragement is not meant to, to make you, uh, like, shy away. The encouragement is to make you, is to spur you on and push you forward and, and to, like, build up that desire because none of us, none of us who are in Christ desires mediocrity at all. It's not, it's not, it's not the Christ in you that's saying that. None of us is like, well, I'd just kind of like to have a, huh, an average, you know, relationship with the Lord. Like, nobody wants that. We, we desire to walk in holiness. We desire the righteousness of Christ. We desire those things. Um, and it should be happening, and I bet that it is happening. And if you're wondering, then maybe ask somebody. But definitely, 
ask the Lord to encourage you, but also to spur you on. And I, I feel like that's, that's what every one of us needs. Every one of us who are Christians, that's what we need. We need Him to encourage the growth, and then encourage us to move like forward and to go deeper together. Um, and so faith and holiness go together. As you're walking with the Lord, uh, by faith, there should be this fruit that's produced in our lives. Now we see in the life of Moses, uh, we see these uh, four verses we're going to look at will um, kind of highlight some things from his life that, that you may know, you may not know. Uh, I'm not really sure. But the writer of Hebrews pulls out some things that are really interesting. So we're not even going to go back to Exodus. We're just going to stay in Hebrews and kind of explain as we go a little bit. Um, so look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so the the first thing that we see in like as Moses is an example is not even about him; it's about his parents. So Moses' parents make the hall of faith. Okay, that's what this chapter has been nicknamed. Uh, it's a hilarious pun that some you know Bible nerd made up at some point. Uh, but uh, the, his parents make it into the hall of faith because they did something that that really got the attention of the Lord. You know, we've talked over the last several weeks about that, that humility and that faith. It, it gets the attention of God uh, in a very special and unique way. And God really, really likes the, way, the decisions that they made with Moses. And so um, when it says that uh, he was hidden for three months by his parents, um, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, um, So... Moses was born at a time when um, the, the Hebrew nation had, basically they were just, um, they were exploding uh, pretty much. The population was just, it was, they took the like be fruitful and multiply edict like very, very seriously. And there was just a ton of them. And through, the, through a famine and with Joseph being relocated into Egypt and him becoming kind of a big deal in the government there, um, his whole family had wound up in Egypt and uh, they kind of settled down there, and they had kids and all this kind of stuff, and the family started growing, and the, the generations just kept on passing. And, and what happened was that Pharaoh was very nervous that there were, because there were so many of them. He was worried that one of their enemies might roll in with an army, convince the Hebrews to join that army, and then they would completely overtake them. And so, uh, so he like, made, them, uh, their, made them slaves and decided, I'm going to start oppressing them to try and keep the, the population down. Plus, we'll have some workers and stuff like that. So they became enslaved. Uh, and, but that didn't work, because the Bible says that, that the more he oppressed them, the more they multiplied. Like, it backfired on him, so to speak. And so, um, so he, he decided that what needed to happen was uh, he wanted all of, the, all of the male Hebrew babies that were born, uh, they needed to be killed. Uh, he wasn't worried about the women because they weren't the warriors at that time. It was the, it was the men. So let's, kill, let's make sure there are just no, no boys being born, and, and that'll take care of the problem. And uh, the problem was nobody was on board with that, and so uh, they, they just found ways around it. And so then he was like, okay, if that doesn't work, then let's just, let's just kill every Hebrew baby. Let's kill them all. And uh, so Moses' parents were not on board with this. And a part of what, why they were not on board with it is because they knew, they knew what it meant to be a part of the Hebrew nation. They knew the promises that had been made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Joseph all the way down to, uh, you know, through that, that whole deal. They knew what was going on. They, they just knew something. And the, the two reasons it says in verse 23, um, he was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay? The beauty of the child, it's a little bit deeper than like, he was just too cute to kill. You know, it's like, okay, that's not really it. Uh, he was beautiful, but there was something like that to them was, it spoke of something greater. Uh, they saw that as God blessing them and, and being able to look at this child and see his beauty. They just, they just had a sense that there was more, um, more going on uh, than that. And so, um, so he was born and they decided to hide him. And so they tried as best they could to hide a newborn baby for like three months, which is like impossible to do, right? Um, and because they cry a lot and they are very demanding and whatever. And so for three months they hid him. Because they weren't afraid of the ruling of the king. And so if they got caught, they, could, they would be killed and the baby would be killed. But they weren't afraid of that. Um, so they hit him for three months. And uh, as you, you may know the story, after three months they were like, okay, we can't keep this contained anymore. So they made a basket and kind of waterproofed it and put him in the river uh, to float down the river. And then his sister kind of like nonchalantly, you know, it was like stealth spy or whatever, kind of walked along the river. And as a basket floated along just to see what happened, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter was out at, at the river bathing and saw the basket and was like, this is one of the Hebrew kids. Um, you know, what are we going to do? And so his sister, like, speaks up, I guess, like, out of the reeds or something. was like, hey, uh, you want me to go get one of the Hebrew women to come and nurse the baby? And the Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh's daughter was like, yeah, that's fine. So his sister goes and gets the mom who comes and gets hired on at Pharaoh's house to, uh, to nurse the child and to raise the child uh, up to a certain point. And so um, he, there comes, he gets old enough to where that's not necessary anymore. And Pharaoh's daughter essentially adopts uh, Moses into the family. And he grows up in the, in the home of Pharaoh as her own son. So as a, uh, as a grandson to the Pharaoh, which was uh, the place to be, you know, or whatever. And so... So that's what happens to his life, and um, just in his younger part of his life. And his parents, God looks at them and says, that was a tremendous act of faith. To, to believe the promises, to believe there was something special uh, about your son, to believe, to believe that I was in this whole thing enough to hide him for three months, and to trust me enough to like, put him in the basket and let him go, and to believe that uh, everything was going to be okay. Um, so, uh, I, I, for all my note-taker friends, I have three, three things. And uh, I'm going to use a greater than sign, if you always get confused between the two. But the first one is that her, uh, his parents, their faith was greater than their fear. All right? Their faith was greater than their fear. Um, their faith in the promises of God, the character of God, what it meant to be a Hebrew, all these things were greater than the fears that come with uh, the circumstances of what it was like to live at that time. Greater than their fears of, of what the king would do if he found out, you know. Uh, greater than their fears for their own lives, for the lives of their kid. All the what-ifs that could happen at some point. Um, all these reasons that they would have to be afraid, uh, and all of them were legitimate, you know. But it's just that their faith was, it was greater than that. Their faith trumped that somehow. Um, they just believed God and His promises. And they let that carry more weight. They let that be a, a bigger deal in their minds 
than the things that they were afraid of. Um, and so Moses, uh, and we don't really know how long, uh, we don't know how long it was like just him and his mom, and we don't know if she got to like stay around and help raise him, you know, like we don't really know those kinds of details. Uh, but you have to believe, you have to believe that the faith of his parents impacted his life. It had to. It had to. Um, and I hope that that is an encouragement to those of you who are parents or who will be parents um, someday um, to pursue that and to let your kids grow up in an environment where, where this, this is the case, you know, where as they get older, they're able to say, yeah, you know, in our, in our house growing up, uh, this is how my parents lived their lives. This is, how the, this is how the people in, the, in my parents' community group that I went to, even when I didn't really want to or they made me go or whatever, this is how the, that community group, it's how they functioned. This is the, the church that we went to. It was one of those weirdo churches that meets on, on Sunday night. Uh, this is how the, these people live their lives. That, that whatever there is to fear or, or to, to doubt or to worry about, whatever the circumstances are in the world in that, in that time, their faith was always greater than whatever that was. Always, always, always. That's who Jesus is making us into. That's what walking with him produces in us. There's a holiness about that. There's a purity about that as we walk with him. And as we walk, as we walk in relationship with him, we involve him in our lives. And we invite him into things. We trust him with all our hearts. And we don't lean on our own understanding. We acknowledge him in all our ways. And he's making our path straight. As that is happening, this is being produced in us. That your fears subside and your faith increases. And there's a holiness that's there. And so God looks at this, these parents and is like, yeah, right on. And that's who he's making us into as well. So that's the first thing that we see from Moses' life. And it really has nothing to do with him. So he grows up a little bit. Uh, look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Okay, so this is, by grown up, this is, uh, you can look in Acts chapter 7, and it kind of dialogues this as well and puts a timeline with it. This is when he was like grown up like 40, okay? Um, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, or when he was 40, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. All right, so he's an adult, and um, growing up in Pharaoh's house, there was, of course, as you can imagine, access to anything that you could want. Uh, all the money, all the privilege, all the power. Um, you are going to inherit all kinds of stuff. There's just like, it's like the best scenario uh, if, if, if from a, an earthly, worldly perspective, you know. Um, that's what he had access to. And so as a grown-up, uh, there comes a point where he starts to look, um, to really go out there and to look at the oppression of his like Hebrew uh, brethren, and and he knew that that those were his people, and um, he looked at them and looked at the oppression, and uh, I'm assuming would go back to like the cush life of Pharaoh's house, you know, and then look at the oppression and back and forth, and there began to build this tension within him. There had to be. 
And you can read about it in, in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, he's out there one day and he sees some, an, an Egyptian mistreating one of the Hebrew uh, slaves. And so he, like, he kills the Egyptian guy and buries him in the sand because he thinks nobody sees it. Um, and later on, so it turns out someone did see it and it's kind of like, ah, oh, I'm you know, caught, whatever. And uh, he makes a choice to say, like, okay, the, the Egyptians, those are not my people. The Hebrews, those are my people. And he walks away from everything that the flesh could ever desire. It's possible and through being in Pharaoh's home as one of his family. Uh, he walks away from that and he goes toward the oppression of what it means to be a Hebrew. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense at first. You know? like we look at that and we're like, man, that's, who would do that? You know? Why wouldn't he stay? Why wouldn't he try to be influential from within. You know, there's like all these things that we can look at and question. Um, but if you look at verse 24, it says, By faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Uh, the second point, the second little uh, deal is that it was more like being, being his, okay, like his, like God's, was greater than sin, all right? This may not make a lot of sense if you look at it, but just think about it for a second. Capital H, his, being his, was greater than sin. That identifying himself with the people of God was greater than anything that Pharaoh's house and all that stuff had to offer for him. It was greater than the money and greater than the power and greater than uh, whatever pleasures could come his way. It was greater than all that stuff. Uh, he looked at calling, like, calling himself a child of God, identifying himself with the people of God, was greater, was greater than all that stuff. Um, you see, it says that the, in, verse, in the verse 25, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's like Moses, it's like he knew exactly, like he, he was not duped by sin. You know, he wasn't convinced that, oh, this, this, uh, this pleasure is going to last forever. He's like, no, he understands like it's fleeting. It's pleasure, it's like running away. It's, uh, it's temporary, it's empty, it's, it's a joke, it's a facade, like it's just not even, not even real. Um, I think one reason why it's, it's hard maybe for us to understand to a degree what he did is because cause we're still coming around a little bit to seeing the emptiness of sin at times. But, but that's when we walk with the Lord. That's what he's doing, right? That's what he's producing in us. He's helping us to see the fleeting, temporary, empty facade of sin. And as we walk with him, and we know him more deeply, and we understand these things. Sin, it it looks less and less appealing over time, and he looks better and better and better over time. So, if you've been walking with Jesus for a month, don't be overly frustrated by the fact that you are still drawn to some of those things that you know are bad for you, and and trust what he says in his word. And trust the experience of, of those of us who have walked with him longer, it, it subsides. It, it really it, it gets better. It really does. 
It gets better because, because he looks better and better and better. And the more we walk in truth, we realize, just like Moses did, like, man, this, this stuff doesn't make me happy. This doesn't fill me in any way. This, this makes me feel worse. And the reason that happens is because that's not how we were designed to live. And so we walk with the Lord, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm really, I'm restoring you to who you really are. All those things, that's not, that's not how you were meant to live. You are meant to live in communion and fellowship and unity with me. Uh, that's why that stuff starts to look so empty. And so he was able to see the difference between those things. Um, he saw the permanent identification as a child of God and the promises that were to be kept toward him as an heir. You know, He's beginning to see things for what they were. Uh, and so there, there's two key words to kind of zero in on for a second. Um, the, first, uh, the first one, uh, if, we, if we go back to the verse, uh, in verse 24, it says that he, by faith Moses, was grown up, refused... To be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like there's a like he he made a choice, you know. He refused sin. He refused the the rights and privileges that would come to him as being one of Pharaoh's daughters. He he said no to those things. And we can learn a lot from that. There are times when we're battling stuff, and it's because we're it, it we're not refusing it. We're kind of wel- welcoming it. You know, we're kind of, kind of keeping the door propped open a little bit at times. We're allowing ourselves into situations that are going like, to be incredibly tempting or incredibly, it just ups the possibilities of things and, um, and stuff like that. And there needs to be an active refusal on our part. And so as we're walking by faith and we're walking with the Lord, that's one of the things that He helps us to do. Is he helps us to see some of those patterns, those situations we end up in and stuff like that where, where we can start to refuse some stuff. Now that's not a, that's not a behavior modification point right there. You know, don't hear me saying like, well, you just got to make you a list of places that are bad for you to go and people that's bad for you to be around and make an opposite list of the good places to go and the good people and just keep the good lists and don't do the bad lists and everything will be okay. That's not what I'm saying. But, but there, is, there is some principle there that we need to apply. That there is a lot of wisdom in being like, yeah, I don't need to go into that place. You know? Yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to like, probably uh, put myself in this social situation again. Uh, I need to be very careful in some of these environments. And there's also a lot of wisdom in saying, like, these groups of people and these places and these folks, th- this is good for me. This is good for me. Um, it's, not, it's not a legalistic thing when you're pursuing holiness. It's legalism when you're, when you're trying to keep the rules and you're trying to earn the grace of God and the favor of God. When you're pursuing holiness, it shows up as wisdom. I'd be like, yeah, not wise for me to go there, super wise for me to go here. There's a really big difference. And so Moses, another, one of the things we learn from him is that he, he got to a point where he was like, it is, it is of greater value to me to be identified as one of his than to choose the sinful, fleeting pleasures of sin. The other key word, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. 
He, he chose something better. He chose something better. That in that equation, it's better to be his than to engage in the sinful whatevers of, of Egypt. That for you and I, we're choosing, we're choosing what is best for us by God's design. And so you take, the, take an example of, uh, like, let's say, like, let's say that, that one of the sinful patterns for you, let's say it's lying. Let's say you just find yourself, like, you just, you lie to your boss, you lie to your spouse, you lie to your kids, you're just like, about stupid stuff, it doesn't even matter, and then sometimes about huge things that have incredible value, you know. Um, let's just say you're just constantly bending the truth and that kind of stuff and, and all that. And so I, I think you have to come down to, okay, is it greater to be his? Or is it greater to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? Is it greater to be his where inside his kingdom uh, we're filled with truth and goodness and that whatever consequences come from telling the truth, it's going to be okay because it's his kingdom and it's all going to be fine? That you can be honest with people and your worst fears are not going to come true? And even if you are honest and your worst fears come true, it's still going to be okay. It's greater to be His and live in His truth-filled community of faith and hope and love. It's greater to be His than to lie and to be all about self-preservation and try to manipulate things and people and Make sure nobody thinks bad about you and all this kind of stuff. And always kind of trying to be controlling you know, of everything and whatever. It's, one is greater than the other. So you refuse sin. You refuse to be a liar. And rather you choose to be His. And when we are His, we walk in truth. And whatever that brings our way, it brings our way. So, in regard to like the pursuit of holiness and walking in holiness, we, we identify those things in our lives that are still they're still tripping us up. They're still really struggling. And I think you sit down and I think you like dissect it just like that. I think you sit down and say, "Okay, what's greater? What's greater for me?" The verse says that he did this by faith because he really believed that it was better to identify himself as a child of God. And everything that that entails. He, really, he believed that. And I bet after 40 years of growing up in Pharaoh's household, I bet, I bet he was, that tension that was there, I bet it was agony at times. And then obviously it started to, like, the scale started to tip to where sin just, it, he didn't want it anymore. And he just wanted, he wanted God's will to be done. And so he made some choices. And so that's, I think, a part of what we learn. And certainly it fits into every life differently. But conceptually, you know, we're all, we're all in the same boat. It's one of the, the weird things about American Christianity is like we, we kind of have this air about us at times where we feel like we can't be vulnerable and we can't be really honest with people and we can't, you know, we just, I don't know, we're, like we're kind of always trying to keep up appearances. And that's something I believe that God's been like chipping away at here at, in our church for years, you know. And that's some of, I believe, what he has in mind with, with the way our groups are, are, are functioning now and how we've changed what our time together meets like is, is so that some of these things, we can verbalize them and we can 
can share them and be confessional and pray together and, and have that kind of, of folks, uh, folks around us to walk through things with. Um, and so we're all in this boat. We're all having to learn this. Walk with Jesus for a, a month or a year or 10 years or 30 years. We're all learning the same stuff. And we learn from each other. So the first one, his parents, their, their faith was greater than their fear. The second one, for Moses, it was, it was better, it was more important to be his than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Uh, and look at verse 26 for the last one. This is sort of an extension of the previous verse. Uh, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Read that again. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Zero in on, on some key words. Uh, it's the first two words. He considered. You know, he considered it. He didn't stumble into holiness. He didn't, it wasn't kind of an accidental byproduct of things. He didn't cross his fingers and hope that it happened one day. Like, he considered it. That, that implies, like, some, some intentional, you know, pursuit. It, it implies some action. But it, it really points to a lot of, it's, there's thought. And there's belief that's there. Like, he believed that, that the, like, to be identified with Christ and whatever that brought to him, was greater than was of greater wealth than the riches of Egypt. Like he considered that he believed that uh, in his heart, with his mind, that that was the conclusion where he, where he had arrived. He's like, no, no, this is greater than this. He considered it. And the end of the verse it says, "For he was looking to the reward." Kind of referencing last week. If you were here, he looked forward. He's like, God's not done here. Moses grew up hearing about the promises. He grew up hearing about uh, this weird story about how like, Joseph like, wanted to make sure that like, his bones were carried to the promised land because God was going to lead him out of there. And he was identifying himself with these people who had been enslaved for 400 years under this promise that God's going to bring us out. He's going to send a deliverer to get us out of here. To the point where one of our like, great-great-great-great-grandpas has his bones in a bag somewhere that we have to make sure we don't forget. You know, he's like, he grows up with all this stuff thinking and believing that it's true. And he took all that into account. And he looked forward and he's like, okay, we aren't, we aren't there yet, but that's where he's bringing us. He considered the reward. And he said, man, for all that stuff to, to be true is of such greater value to me than whatever Egypt has to offer. Whatever suffering that brings my way, whatever it takes to be a part of that, to identify myself with that, that's what I want. So the third one that we look at is just very simply put, that Jesus was greater than everything. Jesus was greater than everything. And yeah, he didn't know his name was Jesus, and I get all that kind of stuff. Jesus is greater than everything. That's how Moses, that's how he viewed, like, not just his life. That's how he viewed the world. Jesus is of greater value than anything. That's, 
That's what his walk with God had produced in him. That's what a walk with God is producing in us. You may not be where you want to be, and I get that. I'm not where I want to be. But we're in process. And he's forming us. And he's saying, come on, let's keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. Look forward. Learn from the past. Let that affect the present. Don't forget about the future. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Jesus is greater than everything. Um, I want to read the lyrics of two songs to you real quick before we sing a little bit. Um, you probably you probably know both of these. One of them uh, is a hymn, or they're both hymns, I guess. Uh, first one's called "I'd Rather Have Jesus." Uh, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. Second verse, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. Third verse, He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. Uh, he's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. And the chorus, than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And fairest Lord Jesus, uh, fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, Thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Fair are the meadows, fairer still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer, who makes the woeful heart to sing. Fair is the sunshine, fairer still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host. But Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all nations, Son of God and Son of Man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. This is what he's forming in us. People who really, really look at life and believe this deeply. And he's doing it in your life. I know he is. I see it. He's doing it among us. And so let's keep walking with him. Keep letting him form this in us. Because he's not done. He who began a good work in us. Right? He who began a good work. He finishes what he starts. So I'm going to pray. and We're going to sing and just kind of let this bubble up a little bit. And uh, it'll be good. Let me pray for us. God, I'm grateful that you uh, are not done, that none of us have hit that point where there's just no, no more growth, nothing left to do. We haven't hit, the, hit our peak, our apex, and we're on the, on the decline. 
And while our, our bodies are wasting away, that inwardly we're being renewed daily by your power and your grace at work among us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, fan into flame that desire that we all have to walk in holiness and purity. The fact that none of us want to be just choosing to walk in sin and uh, the emptiness and the, the fleeting pleasures of whatever is offered to us. Pray, God, that you would just, that you would just uh, take that spark and that they would just let that oxygen hit it. That you would fan it into flame, that it would be something that burns within us, that that, that desire and passion for holiness and to, uh, to look like you and to talk like you and to act like you and to care for others like you, um, that that would drive us forward. Help us, Lord, to, to live a life that is very much lopsided. Where our faith is just greater than the fears and garbage of our circumstances and that our that we, we see it being of greater value to be identified with you as your sons and your daughters than anything else that's offered. And then we would be the kind of people who continue to grow in the fact that, Jesus, you are greater than everything. And I ask, Spirit, that you would encourage us in our pursuit of holiness and our pursuit of the righteousness uh, that you have died for us to have. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And as we sing, I pray this would be edifying to us, uh, not only to sing for ourselves, but to hear those around us singing as well, these declarations.